0: The Guardian.
1: Hello, this is Music Weekly. I'm Alexis Petridis.
2: And I'm Kieran Yates.
1: An absolute feast this week. Andrew Weatherall is with us in the studio. Johnny Marr tells us about the tracks he's most proud of. And Peeper Feeders returns with another parallel history of pop.
2: Plus, of course, Singles Club. All on Music Weekly from The Guardian.
1: Delight and a joy to welcome Mr Andy Wetherill oh, to the studio. Thank a man, you for having me. I, I, it couldn't be more of a pleasure. A man oh, you this. recently described on this very podcast as the Neil Young of electronic music. I think really? You taught me to through no that mind. concept. Well, <laughs> just, just a man who, you know, as an artist, you've absolutely forged your own path. You have paid no heed to passing trends. I mean, there must have been a point when you could... Yeah, I guess in the wake of Screamadelica have become a proper, you know what I mean, major label. So what you're
0: trying to say there, Alexis, is that I could have been a contender. You could have been a contender.
1: <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. I feel
0: so much today. it's just gone so well. Um, well, no, I, I had a look at that world, you know, that, that kind of superstar DJ world. Mm. I had a brief glimpse, I stood on the, the, the precipice of... Uh, DJ superstardom and Mm. I just didn't, it looked like a lot of fun but it just looked like a lot of work and a lot of compromise as Mm. well. It would have meant playing music that I wasn't 100% into, Um, it would have meant kind of being out of the studio um, when I I, I could have been doing something creative and the whole thing, the the reason I got into music was because I had a big record collection and I wanted it to be fun and I thought it would only last for six months or a year. So I thought, well, I don't want to do this. I'm not looking at this as a career, so I don't have to really compromise. I'll just do what I want to do. And then a year goes by, or two years goes by, and, and people say, oh, well, you're, you know, you're forging your own direction. You've never bowed to trend. Yes, but yeah, yeah. All, all it is is because I, I, it was a job I didn't I didn't want to end up hating music. So I just thought, I'll, I'll make this fun. It's gonna, like any job I had back then, when you could have a job for a few months, jack it in, spend the money, get another job. I just thought it'd be one of those. Mm. You know, I'd be back on the building side or back selling expensive clothes or, or building film sets which were the three my three areas of expertise and I used the word wrongly <laughs>
1: <laughs> Where do you sell clothes?
0: Uh, all over the place, I mean I had I, I, had, I had a market stall in my hometown of, of Windsor where I used to, we used to come up to Kensington Market and buy off Lee Bowery and uh, believe me that's a test of your salesmanship I was gonna say, is, is selling you Lee Bowery clothes to people in the home counties <laughs> that's, that's, that's some skill so yes I did have expertise actually. Actually, in that area, but but then I, I would get. I was I was interested in clothes, had been since I was a kid. So I had contacts in in with various clothes shops and fashion labels. So I'd get you know someone would phone me up on a Saturday. We need someone in the Covent Garden store. Oh, right, Can you, okay. you you know? And I was, I was you know I had all the quality is remembered long after price is forgotten, sir. And would you like <laughs> shoes with that? You know, I had all that. I had all the I had all the correct patter. You know, so uh-huh. I, I was reasonably good at it. But then I, I was building film sets as well. That was. That was the job I was doing when I started to DJ. Mm. Um, it was a great job, some of the funniest moments of my life. And I got offered a, a, a I say prestigious, it wasn't that prestigious, it was Nanak Newman advert for Fairy Liquid. <laughs> but it was in Spain and it was like, that was the big thing, you know, you get be film sets to get the job abroad. And I was DJing as well, but at the last minute the art director's brother was on holiday for university, so he got my job. So I thought, well, this DJing thing can't be any more precarious than that. Let's <laughs> let's give this DJ thing a go. Sure. I, I'll do it for six months or a year. I think I've got the record collection to cover it.
1: Were you DJing at Shum then? Was that?
0: Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd done a few things before then, I'd, I, um, the my my most spectacular gig would have been about eighty-five, eighty-six. This is pre-acid house. Mm-hmm. I was a smoke machine uh, revolutionary. You know, they, they had them in the clubs, but they didn't use them that much. I think it was in Hounslow or somewhere. I thought, oh, Smoke Machine, brilliant, put that on full knacker and played the uh, theme tune to the 633 Squadron as my <laughs> opening record. <laughs> and they had people doing that kind of goggles, you know that thing where you turn your hands back and make the go- you know, the, and, like whizzing round. And the owner just came out and must have heard what was going on or someone had told him or had seen it on the CCTV, came storming into the DJ booth and I won't, you know, the, the expletives flew and I was chucked out of the DJ oh, booth. no! Yeah, so that was an early... But, the, the yeah, the Sherman and the trip as well, which was Nikki Holloway's night at the the Astoria, they were the kind of early ones. It was kind of lucky. I was, and I was DJing at house parties. I, I DJed at a party um, in Islington. A guy called Skater Bobby, who was a roller skater, who was then starring in Starlight Express and his his mum had a calf in Chapel Market and she was away so we had a party and I played I was you know get that weird kid to play at 6 o'clock in the morning (laughs) when everyone's really like properly (laughs) spannered and um, I was playing a mixture of kind of dub and uh, uh, the record that swung it was October Love Song by Chris and Cozy I'd I'd Mm. met Danny a few times been to the shum and he just kind of loved what I was playing, and said, so "You're going to have to come and play this at the Shum." And I think my first gig, the Shum did a phone a, a party, a phone party in Amnesia, mm-hmm. in the beautiful sunshine, yeah, 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 the clean environs of, of uh, you know, a whitewashed club, perfect. In a in a milking shed, <laughs> which has still got the detritus of of you know the cows as soon as the bubbles hit it they the the ones that didn't burst became clogged so there's just this kind of brown sludgy (laughs) mass whilst i played i don't know a throbbing gristle v-side or something
1: (laughs) so yeah that was the kind of level i was at back then you said um, when you're talking about looking at the precipice of superstar DJing, it would have taken you away from the studio. Mm. Is that was making music always central to what you wanted? Not really, to do? Because,
0: no. Because when I first started DJing, I'd never really set foot in a in a in a studio. I never thought I was, despite uh, growing up with the punk revolution, and you could, everyone, anyone can do this. Mm. There was still that thing of forming a band, knocking on the door of a studio. Can we make some art, please? Mm-hmm. You know. So I still had that. Although I thought I was a little punk rocker, I still had that. Thing of like I wasn't worthy enough. I, I, I haven't got the knowledge. I can't be doing that. Mm. But it was only when I went in the studio a few times and thought, well, it's, I'm not being hired for my technical knowledge or my ability to play a diminished seventh. I'm sure. here because I'm on a, a dance floor at happening clubs mm-hmm. every weekend, and these bands that are turning up want me to make record their records sound like the ones that they're they're dancing to.
1: Mm-hmm. DJing still holds the same same sort of allure for you.
0: Yeah, it's still it's still important. important. It's you know I, there are. Granted, it doesn't happen that often, but there, there are still times when I'm standing in front of a thousand people questioning my career choice. <laughs> believe, really? believe me, and that does affect you. Get you get into the studio Monday, and I'm not the happiest of chappies, But mm. thankfully, that doesn't happen
1: what, too often. What makes often. you question your career choice? Always. When
0: you're going down like a oh really? Does that? Yeah, oh place? yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 but then even then even then it, it can be quite sweet. I did a gig to last year in Ireland somewhere rural Irish gigs that always can always be a bit tricky they 're either amazing or yeah. uh, you, you feel like you're playing at a school disc or something and i 've turned up at this bar and uh, the people putting on are very enthusiastic loved my work, but the majority of people in there were just kind of there for a, for a drink and right. I was literally I was dying on my ass and I, like, then the young t- these four lads came in and obviously thought they'd, they'd sort of prove themselves and at one point I was planning which one to hit first (laughs) which in my experience of these things is the biggest one you know it's a risk but if he goes down the others follow and this is all going through my mind it's just going and then with that this kid just walked up and he handed me a paper plate I thought oh god this is just this is the final it's going to say feck off or something on it But you handed me this plate and it's it just written, like, God bless you, something like, God bless you for coming, we love what you're doing, like, just carry on playing, we appreciate oh, what so you're stupid. doing. And it has pride of place in my studio to this day. <laughs> There's gold discs that are gathering dust, but that <laughs> is up on the
1: wall, like, believe me. Um, your most recent album, which is under the name The Asphodels? Asphodels, yeah. Um, that's a collaboration. It's different, it seems to be shifting on quite dramatically from the sort of last couple of records you made. It's quite sort of. Early rock and roll influence, to be fair to say.
0: Well, yeah, that's weird because people—it's it, 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 different things to different people. You know, some reviews have said, "Oh, it's not as rock and roll as Pox on the Pioneers," and um, I don't know because to me, it's just—it's uh, all my things. I think I've got a common thread. All my tr- all my music's got a common a uh, common thread. So, what to some people seems disparate and not and disjointed to me is a logical a logical progression.
1: said. That, I mean, this is perhaps a, a, a daft question, or a difficult question to answer. You said there's a common thread. To you, there's a common thread mm. running through your work. What would you define that common thread as?
0: Um, uh, I don't know. Slightly incompetent one-fingered bass line <laughs> <to play>. <laughs> <laughs> No, there's a certain there's certain chord sequences I like. You know, there's, there's certain there's certain chord sequences I like. There's certain way I like the drums and the bass to work. You mm. know, even if I'm not. Um, you know, a friend of mine who makes techno, he, he, he said to me, oh, whenever I listen to your stuff, I know it's you and I know that you listen to a lot of reggae, even though it's a, a kind of house sure. track or a, or, a, or a techno track, just because the way I like the bass to be behind the B or, or playing in a, in a certain way. Then again, I do sometimes forget. A few years ago, I was in a clothes shop and this track was playing. I thought, This sounds okay. And it was something off the first Two Lone Swordsman album <laughs> that, I t- that I'd totally forgotten
1: about. Sort of
0: nodding with approval yeah, yeah, at your own just, work. I must, I must ask the younger fellow what this
1: is. <laughs> you know, you also work as a producer for outside artists. How do you ch- I mean, you seem to be very selective. Uh, it's not I'm with. selective it's record companies
0: are selective really? when I say under no circumstances are the musicians allowed in the studio while I'm working <laughs> <So> <laughs> the they tend to say now the band love that a lot of bands love that because that's how Screen with was made pretty mm. much <clears throat> you know I was given um, recorded tracks and then left to my own own devices um, and a lot of bands love that, but mm. then when they present that to the record company, that's not, they, you know, that kind of worries them a, a really? little bit. Uh, with the um, effect buttons, mm-hmm. um, that was good because there was only two of them, so that's a limited amount of musicians. They're not really properly musicians, and all their equipment, literally, you could get into a suitcase. Yeah, I've it. And it was, one Casio, one, it was like Casio, VL tones played. and stuff like that, yeah. so it was, you know, you're not having to kind of, got a drummer, you know, a moody drummer in his kind of 25-piece <laughs> kit to record or
1: anything. The first time I've ever heard that record I was on a, a faintly disastrous motoring holiday around the Lake District uh, with my wife and kids the yeah, ideal soundtrack I did, well, no, it, was, it was amazing because we were driving through some part a very mountainous part of the Lake District and I had you know, a pile of CDs to yeah. listen to on holiday and be, we had some sort of huge row and the kids were playing and sick in the car and I put the album on and then a thunderstorm started Beautiful. and even my wife who is not a woman with any interest in music at all went right. god this is a bit intense isn't it you know was, <laughs> Well, yeah. my friends, was yes. it a uh, was it an intense record well, to me?
0: It was intense. How long does the album last? In your, it's about forty minutes. Yeah, it is, that yeah. was intense. Well, imagine eight hours a day for a month. <laughs> <laughs> I think that probably answers the, that answers that question. When I left school, I went straight into um, uh, because I was expelled. Although I had good exam results, I was expelled. And so I had to go into uh, I had to go into building sites I was a furniture porter, uh, and it was it was hard graft. But I liked I used to love the end of the day that feeling. You know, I wasn't muscly, but I was wire. You know, it, it, yeah. it was it was quite. I was eighteen and kind of thought I knew everything. And I, also I was quite physically strong as mm-hmm. well. And I and I felt felt like I'd 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 done a day's work. And that's what it was with with that album. I'd get home and I would feel how I remember. Thirty wow. years previously, that feeling of coming off a building site or humping furniture around mm. all, all day—it was mentally and physically draining. I did actually, eight, you know, I had muscle, you know, wow. like it, it was, eight, you know, because you're kind of. Sometimes you're kind of. It's like being in a G-force machine, you know. <laughs> you kind of your muscles are a bit tense, but I had no problem with that. I like, you know, that that I kind of felt I'd achieved something you know it's mm. like going to, I went to, to a gig a few years ago and saw Boris and Sano and Earth Right, and, well, and all on the same night? All on the same Jesus. night my friend and we got there from the off right <laughs> and, and it, it's like that you know it's that classic kind of bad message you know it tastes bad but you're gonna do it, it mm. it'll, it'll it'll do you good and it was funny but it was at the forum I think I remember coming out and just the wave of relief from people coming outside. So you could have powered London for a fortnight on the wave of cathartic relief that came off people. But you know, it's was, it was like, yeah, it was medicine that tasted bad, but you just felt somehow transcendent for mm. having gone through the experience.
1: Johnny Marr hardly needs any introduction. Since the Smiths split in 1987, he's played with everyone from Electronic and the Healers to Modest Mouse and the Cribs, and now he has a solo album out. He came in to talk to Michael Han about the five favourite records of his career.
3: Yeah. The first of the five tracks that you've brought in, that you're particularly proud of, is Newtown Velocity from your first solo album, The Messenger. Why this track above any of the others from the album?
4: Well, it's the last song I wrote for the record, and I wrote it kind of right under the wire, really. Um, so, it's kind of rule of thumb for me anyway, it's that like the most recent thing I've written is, is the thing I like most, really, which is, I guess is fairly logical. But um, in the case of this song, um, what happened was that I'd made the, in, what I thought was the entire record and there was just some aspect of the, the album as a whole that I felt was missing. That aspect I realised after driving a few people bonkers was that I felt it needed something emotive in there, like some, with some sort of genuinely emotive quality, because I didn't want the rest of it to be like that. So rather than take something off or reshuffle or whatever I thought okay we'll just try and, just try and write what it is that you're you're looking for and amazingly I I, it happened, I was able to do that Mission velocity It made me just run I was like, okay, it reminds me of, what does it remind me of, this music? What is it I'm trying to say? Okay, well, like, kind of like that day when I was standing around debating whether to go to school or not again because I was a terrible truant. And um, I met my girlfriend, who's now my wife, on this one summer's morning. And I, I just said to her, I'm not going in. And she was like, oh, well, don't, won't you get in trouble? And what are you going to say when you go back? Because I'm not going back. I'm just not going in ever again, you know? She and I and my best friend at the time, who was Andy Rourke from the Smiths, we we walked around the suburbs, the town where I lived, and then we got on a bus and went into town, and the whole day was this sort of evocation of, felt like, just like destiny, really, that feeling of like utter freedom from being young. Not just freedom because I decided not to go back to school, but I remember the, the day vividly is one of those rare occasions when you feel like you're actually in charge of your destiny. Didn't matter that I was skint, and um, I had no idea how I was going to like do what I was going to do. But I, it was this feeling of anything is possible. It's kind of transcendent feeling, really. It was very, very beautiful and powerful enough for me to be able to remember it thirty odd years later. You know.
3: Your next record is Dashboard by Modest Mouse.
4: One of the reasons why Dashboard is so special is because it's first and foremost an eccentric pop record and that was a successful pop record in the United States. All the bands I've been in couldn't be considered and certainly could consider themselves to, to be alternative. But all of those bands at some point came up with like a kind of a, a big commercial track, you know. And it's an interesting thing because uh, I'm super proud of all the, you know, The The For This Reason, Electronic For This Reason, The Smiths, obviously, all these bands. What happens is you have this song quite often, and, and it's just, usually, in my experience, it's been based off one of my riffs, right, because sometimes I, I come up with kind of com- quite catchy riffs. And um, we look at each other and we all go, dare we? OK, like, because there's this terrible indie guilt that's floating around the room. That goes, oh, oh. And in the case of Dashboard, Isaac, who's a, a utterly, utterly brilliant artist, I could tell you he had that indie guilt thing going on. And I just said, hey, listen, let's just get in the ring with Outcast and slug it out, man. And he, he just loved that.
3: You mentioned that you played with alternative musicians so for virtually sure, your career. There must have come a point where you stopped thinking of yourself as an indie musician.
4: Yeah, I started thinking of myself as a pop musician the minute that uh, I'd walked off stage off the top of the pops. And I was really happy to be a pop musician. i still thinking of myself as a pop musician. My values are uh, entirely from the indie time. You know, these terms get hijacked and become... Completely, completely different things. What was, you know, what was called rock and roll when I was like, say, rock and roll behavior, and now Americans call it punk. That's so punk. Oh, he just threw himself down the stairs. How, how punk rock is that? Well, in 1975, that was someone being rock and roll, you know. So terms just move over. And indie is, uh, you know, started off cycling its way to a cooperative and eating granola. And now checks its emails and travels to work in its uh well I was gonna say Mercedes, but we've had a recession now, right?
3: <laughs> in it, 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 its prius. Cer- certainly in its Prius <laughs> or its Audi Five. Where well, it's still got some still got some because right. yeah, it's I'm, a yeah. hybrid. <laughs> th- yeah, a
4: little bit, yeah, yeah. So in, in this change, but to answer your question, I am um, um I'm very proud of it because it it was about being not sexist, not homophobic. People forget all the journalists were exactly on the same page too so I was just talking about some to somebody about this earlier. The idea of being at a concert and seeing a woman up on stage and shouting some kind of sexist remark would was just would have never 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 happened ever it's the same exactly the same with the printed word journalists were, were literally we were literally on the same page you know so many of the bands. Didn't consider themselves as being comrades. Young men don't really, and there's a competitive edge to it. But you look back now, and there's without question the Bunny Men, New Order, the Smiths, Depeche Mode. You all knew that we all, where, where we stood uh, in terms of politics. It was an unspoken thing. You know, you didn't have to be like Billy Bragg to be, to take a stand, you know?
3: Moving on to your next record, which is Slow Emotion Replay by The The.
4: The reason I picked it is because it's very simple, really. There are some people who might hear it, who haven't heard it, who will really like it. Because that usually happens with this song. You'd know it was me playing it, which I'm very proud of, you know. It, I think what, it, what I'm trying to say is it's got the spirit, it's got me and Matt Johnson really right up there side by side. The other very important thing about this song that I've always loved about it is the lyrics because they're so simple and just very very cool and also playing the harmonica is, is kind of some, a connection that I have from being a little boy you know it's used so rarely when you, I play it live which I did with Electronic a few times and most often actually with Neil Finn the audience really like it and I understand why they like it they like it the same reason as I like it because it's almost the closest thing to the human voice I think has yeah, a very Plaintive you know, quality to it.
3: Let's move on to record number four, which is Get the Message by Electronic. Of all your choices, this feels the one most rooted in its own time. How much did you embrace what got called Mad Chester? Well, I was 24
4: and a musical revolution was happening in my own city. What do you think I did? so exciting. I went to Los Angeles uh, around about 1988, just for a few weeks or so, and um, I, f- I left my friend house sitting in my house, and um, he's a pretty funny guy. I phone him every few nights, and uh, he said to me, oh, i just bought this uh, S- S900, he was a DJ, i just bought this Akai sampler, it's amazing. I've managed to put a little bit of this, these Sly Stone records. If you take the left-hand side, you can just get this amazing bass line. And then I put it on tape, and I'm just trying to sync up this other bit from this Donovan record. And I phone him up every few nights, and, and he'd say, ''Oh, man, you wouldn't believe it. I just got the new demo of the, the new Mondays album.'' I was like, ''Really? Happy Mondays. They're still doing it.'' ''Oh, you're not going to believe this new record they've done with Martin Hannett. They're just in the studio now, and Sean just gave me a tape.'' And this went on for a few weeks, and I'm in Los Angeles, and looking at this big-screen TV with Poison on it, with the sound down, and I'm thinking... I'm in the wrong place. Yeah. There was something great going on in my own house. So I went back to my own house. It was filled with people wearing flares. And it stayed that way for a few years. And the first electronic album was, came out of that environment, literally, because i just built a studio in my house, all these nutcases knocking around. Bernard Sumner went away for a week. And uh, I had some ideas. I thought, OK, well, whilst I've got the floor to myself, I'll, I'll just try and get these ideas down. Get the message came out in about 10 minutes. And then when Bernard came back, played in this track, and I just said, What do you think of this? So he, it was amazing. It was one of, the, one of the best moments I've ever had in my career. He sat there and he just said, Is this us?
3: let's move on to your last record which is the smiths last night i dreamt somebody loved me even though i did it the music with
4: the boys i was there definitely there it has that thing that inspiration brings to something where in football it's called the 12th man you know it's it's that unquantifiable bit of magic that is bigger than the sum of its parts because I knew it was a great tune. I knew the strings that I put on it were great. When Morrissey sang on it, it was, it was astoundingly good. I understand all the elements that make it. I mixed it with Stephen Street. And there's still something else going on there that I just don't know where it came from.
1: No how Just another false alarm That was Michael Han talking to the frankly charming Johnny Marr. His first solo album, The Messenger, is out now on Warners. Let's crack on with Singles Club. We'll start, guests first, with Andy's Choice.
4: All those we, uh, oui. all those sexy young dude Oh, two of them came
1: up to me and said Hey, young lady, can we take you home? Take me home they take our uh, up uh, straight uh, uh, straight crazy a drunk drop. Yeah, they take me home. All
4: right, hey, it's thunder and lightning. The trees are falling down on the ground. And, and.
1: <laughs> T- T- <laughs> a great way to fade out there Brilliant T ah, um, Valentine uh, and the Daddy Long Legs, The Vampire Andy that's your choice Tell us a little bit about T Valentine Can't remember what T stands for But born in Arkansas in
0: 1932 In the 50s he had a review show Which was The Vampire Where he had three kind of assistants And they did a kind of I suppose it was probably a rock opera Before rock opera was, wow. was thought of um, And probably best known for his very rare single He, he divorced his wife Lucille And he didn't deal with it particularly well, and wrote uh, uh, an ode to her uh, called uh, "Is Lucille a Lesbian?" Yeah, Yeah.
1: I'm I'm aware of this this number. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. So I mean, that's you know, and so he's in his eighties. He's kind of one of those Andre Williams kind of Mm -hmm. kind of figures, one of those kind of people like Hazel Atkins that kind of live. On the periphery, uh, you know, semi-outsider. Uh, kind yeah,
1: of yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and this band, Daddy, look like, this is a, a kind of current, you know, new band that he's got. I assume so. I mean, it's
0: pick up. You know, it says on their uh, pianos by Sir Johnny Elton. You know, you can never. T- it's 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 probably you know people from the area that play in garage bands and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I, I'd I'd imagine. It, it, sometimes with records like that, I don't want to investigate them too much. Sure. I, I want it to create my own yeah. myth. Yeah, you know, so I I don't necessarily all the time go to Wikipedia and find out who these <laughs> who these people are. You know, Facebook and Wikipedia is is amazing for destroying legends yeah. and myth i think a little yeah. bit too much daylight on the magic mm-hmm. so um that's my excuse for not knowing very much about t valentine
1: <laughs> <laughs> um i am aware as i said uh, before of uh, of t valentine's work and particularly of, of hey lucille are you a lesbian it's a remarkable piece of work um I, I really like that as well i like the uh the sort of as you say to sort of link ray it's just a bit like rumble but yeah it's link ray, it's
0: link it? ray so, i mean it's that
1: if you will indulge me for a few minutes while well, that's yeah, been
0: yeah. on rotation in my house i read uh, hallucinations by oliver sacks mm-hmm. and a book called "What Is Mad- by Darian Leder and in, in that they put forward a theory that you can be mad without going mad you know you can hear, right. vo- you can hear voices it's not if you hear voices don't necessarily rush to the uh, and, and be medicated as long as it's not as long as you, your picture doesn't end up in the paper with before turning the gun on himself yeah. <laughs> it's kind of alright and then I thought well a lot of art I like is that kind of channeled psychosis and I've been in that position before where if I didn't have the outlet to make music I think I would have ended up with before turning the gun on himself really? yeah and and I, and, I, and I thought well, a lot of the art I like, not just music, a lot of the literature I like, a lot of of, of painting I like, I think it 's probably made by people that are, are kind of dealing with that kind of psychosis and mm-hmm. that, kind of, that parallel universe and the voices in in their head, mm-hmm. but they 're managed into ch- they 're lucky enough to be able to channel it, and I just think that's a kind of that record is a prime example of, of, of channeled psychosis, but yes, on a more visceral level it 's got the link right guitar <laughs> sound, which i don 't know whether it 's apocryphal, but rumble. Um, I think in New York State, was banned from the radio yeah. because yeah. it would incite teenage delinquency, and it's yeah. an instrumental. That's an amazing, amazing thing, yeah, isn't yeah, it? It's yeah. Like yeah. it it's is that so a true story? Is that, is that right? I've heard it so many times yeah. that I think we'll, I think yeah. we'll say it's true. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're,
1: good, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Again, you know, let's not like, let too much let's light in yeah. 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 the magic. Kieran, what did you make of this?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I like that kind of that relationship between a soulful and then that kind of growling vocal, and I think that he encapsulates those things quite well. And then actually I was watching... The YouTube videos I was watching the uh, Lisa Are you and Lesbian and then the other one something Amy I can't remember what it's called yeah uh, yeah um and it was just great it's great seeing it in that kind of live setup where people like all the audience were just like screaming and heckling <laughs> and you can like just about hear him over yeah, yeah, it but it yeah. just feels yeah, it's so just, kind it's, of it's, it's how rock place, and roll should it? be
0: just shambolic yeah, And at exactly. any minute you could think the whole thing is going to fall apart but it never quite does
2: mm-hmm. yeah well it kind of lends itself to that yeah. kind of narrative of psychosis anyway because yeah. it feels like so much is happening. And you know all the time this kind of cacophony of noise yeah. while him kind yeah. of penetrating. Yeah, the noise that, that he's making is hopefully mm. drowning
1: out the, the noises in his own head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. Hopefully. Um, <laughs> T. Valentine and the Daddy Longlegs, the Vampire. That's a track from an album. I yeah, believe, it's called on-
0: the Vampire. The album, and I, I'd imagine it's. it's um, a kind of reworking of the show he did in, in the 50s because it has a kind of narrative. It says through. on the album, you know, this is a kind of a story in so many parts with added dance tracks or
1: something. Uh, T. Valentine and the Daddy Longlegs, the Vampire, is out now on Norton Records. Let's move on to Kieran's Choice. <laughs> That's Bonobo uh, featuring Erica Badu, Heaven for a Sinner. It's a very opaque piece of music.
2: Yes, well, I love Erica. She's my favourite living musician. Is she, uh, really? she is. Yeah, I absolutely adore her. And uh, so I think that I, I kind of loved I love her on this, but I was more interested in that relationship between her and Bonobo and the way that her voice lends in, uh, itself to what he's doing there. That kind of chiming, percussive kind of sound. Because I've seen, um, well, those who don't know Bonobo. Okay, hey Simon Green. He's signed to Ninja. Done lots of festivals, done lots of re- very good albums. Um and actually the, the on his last album Black Sands, he did a track with Andrea Triana who's a London-based female vocalist, kind of jazz soul uh vocals. In a kind of similar line to Erica, but kind of a poor man's Erica. And I think he did that really well. And I think in that this I was just really interested in the kind of development of that sound and how that kind of silky jazz soul thing works with quite ambient trip hoppy mm. electronica
1: because it could go either way i mean well, i actually yeah. really like this i like the sort of soft focusness
0: of it, it. Could you be could too make much, an incredibly isn't it? boring record that's what i know. was
2: thinking it could it could like be too lulling and that's what i liked about journey. it i thought oh,
0: well, he's got erica Badu and he's made it sound like he's recorded her at the bottom of a lift shaft yeah. <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> i just love that it goes, it's, it's, i can't really t- totally judge it might turn into something a lot smoother but i i love that juxtaposition of soul voices there's a great record out at the moment by by um Crooked Man, which is Parrot of Winston and Parrot fame, okay. and it sounds like Robert Owens singing with the Glitter Band. Mm. You know, it's, it's a it's, literally sounds like the greatest that, record I've ever heard. Yeah, in my it's, life. That, it's that wonky. It's called Here on Earth, and it's that wonky kind of glam beat, really dirty, sleazy, almost like a dubstep twist to it. But then this beautiful, soulful vocal. Wow, mm. on it. I always like that kind of that 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 yeah. kind of um, twist because it always reminds me of that classic rock and roll. Um, the sacred and the sinful mm. that uh, that exist in rock and roll. Al Green had it. Jerry Lee yeah, Lewis yeah, had yeah. it. Is it, that and that's that? Reminding that, that's kind of angelic music. But Ooh. you're in the you know you're in the lift <laughs> on the way down to yeah, hell. Absolutely, you yeah. know, which is what I liked about. Like, so it's, yeah, I just love it when people take soulful. And, and don't give it that
1: horrible sheen that yeah. mp3 sheen that soul music has now and also it's good that he's not cowed by working with somebody like Erica Badu I, I, I imagine it's quite an imperious presence
2: yeah I thought you it was know? quite a, a kind of a weird coupling I wouldn't necessarily put them together but yeah but actually what you're saying I like that because when I think of the, of her voice uh, especially I think of kind of scatting and power and you mm. know alongside quite scatting. hard electronic what she, do, <laughs> <laughs> but she, really she does she does when I've seen her live she she does do kind no, of a I've lot of Alive as amazing. well. It, it
1: went on for months. Times when I thought <laughs> I'm gonna, I, love I, will, it. I will,
2: I will. Oh, Lex, don't. I will
1: grow old. I'll, I'll come out of this thing. Was it I'll not a, cathartic in a Boris it, Earth not, kind no, it of way? The, no. It was the exact. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I think I may have mentioned this before on the podcast. But as well as the scatting, there was a section of the gig where she stopped singing entirely and did what I can only describe as interpretative dance. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I'm with you on this. fantastic.
2: Yeah, yeah, anyway, fantastic. But, I mean, anyway. <laughs> anyway. I'd like to see more of that from you, Andrew, Actually, Sorry. I'd like to see more of that from you. Interpretive you could, dance. Yeah. You Have you
1: not seen me, DJ? <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a single, is it?
2: Yeah, well, it's from Bonobo's upcoming album, The North Borders.
1: Wonderful. Mm-hmm. And it's about on SoundCloud? It's about on SoundCloud. Know?
2: Fantastic. Yes. Finally, we
1: shall move on to My Choice. <laughs> Uh, that's Grave Digress," the new single by Coco Rosie. I will, I, I will be totally sort of honest with you about Coco Rosie. The sort of artists that they, they appear to be their peers are uh, Devandra Barnhart, who one of them I think used to go out with, and uh, Anthony Hegarty of Anthony and the Johnsons. And like Devandra Barnhart and Anthony Hegarty, I, I find that Coco Rosie's music um, exists in a kind of grey area, where on one, sometimes I hear it and I think, God, this is really adventurous, and da, da 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 and, you know, you're really pushing... And other times I hear it and think, oh, God, not you again. Um, this I certainly concur with <laughs> your opinion, sir. <laughs> um, I really liked this track. I thought this was... This is... This is if, if you're not familiar with the river, this is one of the more commercial...
0: I've never uh, had that down the same. It's great. It reminded me of a kind of... of um, uh, a, a, an Aphex twin track or something. know mm. another one about mashed potato. Oh yes, yes, potato. yes, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that, it's very childish, and and and, and but, but but then again, sometimes when you do that childish kind of thing, it becomes very Gracing. scary. and, and Oh, and, scary! Uh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, you're kind of a bit weird. I think it's because kind of film culture over the last sort of twenty twenty five years has kind of turned things like clowns and children's mm. things on their head. So now sometimes when you see you hear a childish voice in the background. It um, conjures up dark images that you yeah. probably wasn't supposed to conjure up, and that's what I, I liked about that. And I, I always love those kind of drums, that that kind of programming that's just kind of clunky, yeah, you know, spanners in a
1: bucket kind of sound. So yes, it works for me. Excellent. No, um, Kieran, you're you're a fan. This actually threw me a bit when you you sent yeah. me an email going, I love Coco Rosie.
2: Well, this is the thing. Like they kind of represent all the things that I sort of hate about female vocalists. Like they're a bit wet. Uh, their sound you know their sound is just a bit like Ooh, pathetic, but mm. i I just love them. I think that, that actually I agree with that kind of almost fear thing because to mm. me this is quite a sexy song, and so yeah. that kind of like baby voice kind of you know sensualness it's quite an it's an ancestry, bit weird what I heard
0: of it it's quite nonsense an yeah it's track. weird, but yeah. I think that
2: they're really cool, and I think that actually they do this really well. I think if you compare them to someone like Joanna Newsom, who does that baby voice mm. and kind of harps and stuff that's a bit too much that's a bit too grating, but this is cool because of the electronic current I really like Noah's Ark. I really like the Maison, I really like, uh, yeah, I like their back catalogue a lot mm-hmm. because it is weird. And yeah. I feel like they're, they're doing. It's, it's, it's weird, with the, it. the
1: problem with it is, I think that sometimes I don't think this track does. I think sometimes they walk a lot. There's. there's, there's making a record that's weird, mm. and there's a great phrase, I think it was Bernard Sumner from New Order once used on Jukebox Jewelry, I think he was talking about uh, World of Twist, unfortunately a great band, but he said, oh yeah, said, what do you think of this video, Bernie? He went, it's a bit, we are weird. And you know what I mean, there's that, that sometimes a bit we're too k- kooky, I yeah, we're, we're, bit, we, we live in kookyville. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Sometimes their records can be like that, and um, you know. Yeah,
0: like, the kooky line is a, is, a, <sighs> is a very fine one yeah, to, to walk. Yeah. It's a difficult I thing to think do. they walked the right side of it. There. I, yeah. I agree,
1: right on this track, I mean, I, you know, I make no claims for the rest of the album because I've got albums by them I really love. Like. Who
0: produced I've, it? Do you know who produced I have no it? No idea. Oh, okay.
1: Um, they certainly used to produce themselves, yeah. but mm. the first album doesn't really sound the, the That's a lot more produced. than yeah. their yeah. early work, which I think was literally sort recorded at home. Yeah, this
2: feels a lot slicker.
1: A lot slicker. Um. So anyway, I was going to say you
2: you interviewed them once and then they were late because they were trampolining, right? They <laughs> so were late it does because <laughs> they were,
1: no. That's a better better story than that. They were uh, late because they were the first of all. They'd been trampolining. They, they, they they'd been. Well, I, I cancelled my trampolining session because I didn't want to be. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, like, See, that's coincidence <laughs> <laughs> they'd seen a sort of thing they've got one on the seafront of Brighton it's more like a kind of harness oh I'm aware oh, yeah, of yeah, it yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah yeah. and they'd been in that but then they were further late because they'd gotten an argument with a prostitute on the way to the interview and they'd been staring at this prostitute or something in, there was somewhere in Soho mm. and um, she'd come over and give them a the piece of her mind and they being you know mm. elfin children of the whatever <laughs> had sort of gone oh but we were just looking at you because you were beautiful and I think one of them did some sort of yeah, yeah. You know, physical altercation and yeah, yeah and then one of them sat there drinking a cocktail. She had some, ordered some sort of lethal-looking cocktail, but drank it like that, like with like you know, like a child would drink. like my daughter, my six-year-old drinks a glass of milk. You know, sort of like sucked it. On. Very good. Anyway, my night of passion with Coco Rosie. Um, uh, the Grave Digress by Coco Rosie is downloadable now uh, on SoundCloud. There's an album forthcoming. That Singles Club. <laughs> Our friend Peep Feeders is back after an extensive rummage in his attic. He has produced a copy of the NME from February the 5th, 1972. As it says on the, uh, the BBC's website uh, for Top of the Pops, rather unfortunately these days, it, you know, you can, it's got the link to the next page and the 60s page, and then it goes, cover your eyes, it's the 70s. <laughs> um. <laughs> so here he is anyway, with, with the next edition of his Parallel History of Pop.
5: Welcome. Thank you for joining me, Pete It's a very exciting time in the history of the magazine that we now call Enemy, because it's a new look, new Musical Express. I think this means it's bigger. And on its yellowing pages, the logo is brown. Obviously, in 1972, everything was brown. It so says there's, there's a message from Enemy editor Alan Smith. Uh, who says you'll notice some big changes in New Musical Express this week. More features, more in-depth coverage, more solid reading about the real issues of pop and rock. So you can have a bit of beef heart, apparently. You can go for steel Eye or Rock and Roll, the charts. Jethro, Cat Stevens. What, an, what a broad church that, <laughs> that is. And as was customary in, in the, on the pages of NME in, in February 1972, we would start with the charts. Slade scraping in at number 30 with Look What You've Done. Other new entries include The Bee Gees at number 28 with My World. This, of course, this being the uh, rather low period in their career when they were psychologically scarred by having to play venues like Batley Social Club or Batley Cabaret Club and all those places um, in uh, the pop graveyard. Going higher at the charts, we see that uh, the John Barry Orchestra holding firm with the theme to The Persuaders at uh, number 16. I guess it was on the telly and people were buying it every week. Rising 18 places to number 12 our Chicory Tip with Son of My Father. And rising 10 places to number 2, uh, T-Rex with Telegram Sam being valiantly held off by America and Horse With No Name who have leapt two places to number 1 from. Moving on, as I think we ought to, Bad Finger. They were touring America. Towards the end of 1970, says guitarist Joey Molland, the band made an effort to, to do gigs in America. They took three months playing, colleges and universities. It took its toll on them. They virtually lived in a greyhound coach for three months. And he says, we were taking acid at the time, mainly for curiosity reasons, and it really slowed me up. When I was taking acid, I wrote a song called Feel Like I'm Flying. I guess you would, wouldn't you? I wouldn't encourage anyone to take acid or smoke dope because it puts you in a different world. I think that's why people take acid and smoke dope, in fairness. Looking at the adverts, uh, taking the honours with a full page ad on page seven. Some idea, really, of the kind of weight of expectation on Carol King in the wake of tapestry. Carol King's new single is Sweet Seasons and Pocket Money. It will be available from February the 4th. And it's a great song, both that and the Isley Brothers version. It's a much bigger magazine, New Musical Express, than it was before. And you can see this in some of the slightly dubious uh, feature commissions that, um, that one finds in here, such as A History of the Mellotron by Tony Tyler. And then it would cut to the brass. And I love you. Um, which starts, Mellotron is both a consistently misspelled word and a consistently misunderstood instrument. And that's probably the most interesting sentence in that feature. There's a, a rare interview, with Jerry Garcia. I don't think in, jour- in the history of journalism, I'm to show you some of the best ideas, really, to relay your awkward opening gambit that you sprung upon your interviewee. But this hasn't stopped Roy Carr from flying all the way to New York and doing just that he says um, i tried humor in a bid to break the initial ice i have come i said on a big silver bird across the mighty ocean from the electric island of fog and rain uh, to which jerry garcia apparently smiles politely <laughs> most of the rock stars in this edition of enemy sound a bit grumpy sound a bit bored i think all of rock and roll needed a holiday in 1972 Uh, the thing I always look forward to the most when I used to buy the music papers when I was little all the singles reviews, a chance for journalists to uh, sound off and uh, air um, entrenched prejudices. This was no exception. Danny Holloway reviewing James Brown's new single, I'm a Greedy Man, parts one and two. Pick up on this! He's got to be a greedy man, or else he would have stopped recording this kind of tripe years ago.
4: Pick up on this!
5: Leave it to Brown to be unimaginative enough to take one riff and run it to death with some grunted slogan pushed over the top with a few squeals thrown in for good measure. And what's worse, watch a couple of thousand idiots run out and buy it. Stop dancing, toe-tappers, just long enough to listen. Also out that week were singles by uh, The Temptations, Superstar, remember how you got where you are, and The Hollies, who gamely soldiered on after the absence of uh, Alan Clark with their new lead singer Mikael Rickforce, a Swede, it says here. Albums coming reviewed that week are, are Isaac Hayes, Black Moses, which you may have seen is that one that is basically uh, the sleeve opens up into a, into a sort of crucifix shaped photograph of Isaac Hayes posing in Christ like mode. Also happening in the week in pop, Poco are everywhere actually. I remember them being awful. but um, And then a peculiar editorial from uh, enemy staffer, Tony Tyler, saying, uh, taking exception to the fact that Black Sabbath, are apparently serially referred to as the Dark Princes of Downer Rock, and he's, he's not very happy about this. Um, before we examine the implications of this phrase, with which Sabbath seemed to wish to be identified, uh, let's lift a few quotes from the group's main source of favourable criticism, the Bopper Mags. Gorgeous Aussie, they gush. Super Satanists, they effuse, taking careful note of the fab inverted crucifixes, Uh, the blissful black clothes and the other paraphernalia associated with the dreamy, demoniac dark devils of Droitwich. Lastly, my favourite page, I think, all oh, has to be the letters page because, uh, once again, a true insight into the psyche of the uh, rock-and-roll fan in the early 70s. One letter here headed, Procol Defence, Procol Haram are, in my opinion, the group for 72, having long been underestimated in previous years by people such as Heather Baker, a previous correspondent. I do not wish to dispute the fact that Amazing Blondel are indeed a very worthy collection, but I dearly wish I had been able to take Mrs Baker's place at the concert she only half enjoyed. There are too many who remember White a Shade of Power and then expect merely the same thing with new words. Do we criticise Pink Floyd when they make records like Oma Gumma? We don't. Uh, that's from Anna, Margaret and Alice. It took three people to write that letter. It's amazing. And um, a, bit, a bit of top 1972 sarcasm here from uh, Alexandra Benn of Lancashire, who writes... After hearing Friday Brown's interpretation of Bird on the Wire recently on BBC One, I would like to offer her my sincere thanks. She showed that no one can sing Leonard Cohen songs except Leonard Cohen. And finally, same again from Rex. I like T-Rex, but how unoriginal can you get, writes Tim Stevens from Glasgow. You can actually play Telegram, Sam, and sing the words, get it onto it. Come on, Mr Bolan, you're good, but let's have some more originality. That's the kind of thing I would have written when I was 11. (laughs) Pious mode. And that brings to a close this week's uh, look through the parallel history of pop. I hope you found something instructive that may somehow bestow perspective and wisdom on your future dealings with rock and roll.
1: Pete Feeder's there, stranded in 1972. He'll be back in roughly a month's time with another relic from his archives. That's it for this week. Big thank you to Andy Weatherworth. thank a, you for having me. Absolutely. Pleasure thank and a privilege we to nice have to. You do in. It again sometime. We, yeah please do, yeah. No, that'd be that would be fantastic. Me and Kieran will be back next week. Take care.
2: Bye. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward
0: slash audio.